feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Welcome to another edition of the Conquer Local Podcast. It's George Leith, your host, and we are bringing back one of our faves from almost a year ago, Donnie Dye, the CEO of Quota NYC. Donnie and I met years ago when he was um, working at Simplify. Um, he has worked with a number of organizations, and he went to work as a CRO about a year ago in the healthcare space. And now that gig is wrapping up and Donnie has graciously agreed to come back on the show and tell us about some of the things that he has learned in building out that sales organization. Always entertaining and always insightful, Mr. Donnie Dye from Quota NYC coming up next on the Conquer Local Podcast. Conquerors, it's producer Colleen. I wanted to give you the lowdown on the Conquer Local Conference. It's the must-attend conference for companies selling digital solutions to local businesses. At Conquer Local, you get to learn from an incredible lineup of industry thought leaders, network with our most successful partners, vendors, and Vendasta experts, and participate in hands-on workshops and leave with concrete takeaways that you can implement in your business strategy. Don't miss Conquer Local 2020 taking place at the beautiful Fairmont Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal on June 8th through 10th. I have an exciting new promo code for you all. Use podcast 300 and you will save $300 off the regular ticket price. Again, that's promo code podcast 300. Book your tickets today at conquerlocal.com. I got a friend of mine on the podcast. It was one of our most listened to episodes a year ago. And we thought, well, producer Colleen came up with this. Maybe we should revisit and ask this young gentleman how his last year has been. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, without further ado, Donnie Dye joining us on the phone from New York City. Hello, Donnie. Hey, George. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. I, uh, you know, a year ago, you graciously came on as a guest and we had some long talks about, you know, quotas and, you know, how to how to move your sales team to the next level. And, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You got a lot of experience and you had told us at that time you were setting out a, on a new journey and we're now a year later. And I was wondering if we could get you to talk about that year and talk about the position that you were in. And, and uh, so let's set it up with a little bit of background on you and then we can get into what you've been busy doing over the last 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super happy to share that. So yeah, about a year ago, or a little over that, um, I founded a company called Quota NYC. And uh, what the mission there is, is that I build and fix sales. And uh, what does that mean? That means that in most organizations, if you're a new organization looking to build revenue, or if you have if something's just wrong, or sales have started to slump, then um, we have a whole um, arsenal of tools that we use to make that better. Now, the way that um, we typically do that is either by leading the sales effort for a short amount of time. So I can come in and do interim sales management, CRO, revenue projections, all that stuff, or just coaching key leaders. There's a lot of great, great sales leaders out there that just have gaps in their skill sets. And, and uh, I'm sure you've noticed, George, it's a little difficult to get a formal education in sales. A lot of times that's just uh, on-the-job training. 
So having someone that can kind of come alongside and build those kind of things are super helpful. And I tell you, the last 12 months, um, man, I can't believe it's been a year since we talked last. It's just been super fast and um, really excited to kind of get into some of the things that I've seen, some of the things that, uh, that have been interesting and hopefully help the audience um, just in their journey as well. Well, you know, Donnie, you, you and I met, God, it was five years ago, um, maybe even longer than that. And, and I've always been impressed by your, your knowledge and the fact that you keep learning as well as you go. So we're, you know, we got sales team management. Um, we've got just tips for helping managers. And I, and I like the fact you're talking about that gap, you know, so there, there are, you know, everybody's got them. So it's a matter of, of uh, figuring out what those gaps are and, and filling them in. Well, you know, what, what was the thing that you learned that really jumps out at you is the most important thing in the last 12 months? Um, I think for me, it's really two things. One is that regardless of whatever type of business you have, whatever vertical you're in, the basics of building a good sales structure are always the same. And so um, for that, I think um, I want to just kind of kind of do a little mental exercise with you. So um, I want you to think about a circle. And on the outside of that circle, I want you to write, I want you to mentally to write the word strategy. So on the outside circle, I want you to have be thinking of strategy. Now the circle inside of that is the is the circle is I want you to write the word team, T-E-A-N. And then inside, and so so that's so the strategy, and inside the strategy you have the team. And then in the third circle, if it's inside the circle of team, I want you to have conversation. And what I've learned in the last year is that these three things, having a good strategy, having a good team, and then having the right conversation is just universal when you're trying to scale sales or drive revenue or ramp revenue, which all of us are chasing after. Um, and I can, I'll walk you through just a real simple way to kind of think about those three things. But does, it, does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And I have my diagrams drawn here and I love it because I'm a visual learner. So let's, let's move to the next step. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. Okay. So the, when you think about the strategy, now there are, there are mountains of books that have been written about sales strategy. Um, there's a, you could, you could listen to audible for the next 500 years on, <laughs> on claiming to make the right sales strategy. But for everybody out there, just to make it super simple, I want you to think about one question with a sub question underneath it. And that question is whose problem are you trying to solve? Every strategy should boil down. If you're in a sales or a revenue generating seat should come down to whose problem you're trying to solve. And I'll give you one quick example. Um, so if you look at my LinkedIn profile today, it'll list me as the CRO of Eden Health. Um, that is a company that is in the healthcare space and they provide their services as an added on benefit, meaning companies will buy that benefit and give it to their employees for free. Now, if you were, if you were to ask me in a conference set or any other types of setting, what does Eden Health, what does Eden Health do? I would very simply say, we help control healthcare costs for providing superior primary care. Now, what that tells me is the problem I'm trying to solve is healthcare cost. And this leads into the second question. So after you have whose problem am I trying to solve, how do you solve it differently? We saw in this case for Eden Health, they solve it differently by providing superior primary care. And that's the real question. So if the first question is whose problem are you trying to solve? The second question is how do you solve it? What are you doing fundamentally different in the marketplace that is not being done today? And that's all you really need to know about strategy. If you can answer those two, game, two questions succinctly, 
then you probably have a pretty good idea of where you're trying to tell, or at least the baseline of strategy. Now, the other side of strategy is who you're telling that to, and that's the whole who's side. So if you if you know your problem, but you don't know who's who has that problem, you haven't done your work with strategy. If you know who you're calling on, but the problem you're solving is muddled, that's going to be a challenge as well. So for example, for even, even at Quota NYC, I build and fix sales. Very simple, very succinct. It makes a lot of sense. And I like the fact that you boiled it down to be quite simple. I, I get it. I, I know exactly where you're going with that. Cool. Great. The team piece. So like now that we're going to that second circle, this idea of the team, is your team set up for success? Now, it fascinates me, George, so many times that when people think about building the team of sales or the revenue generating team, whether you're in a startup, whether you're in a one or two person organization, they don't include themselves in that sales process. So a found, founders, a lot of times will come to me and go, yeah, I want to hire a sales team so they can start so that we can start running, running sales. One thing I've learned about teams is that you can never hire your way into a new trend. Now, let me explain what that means. One of the questions I get is, when should I go from selling everything myself to hiring that first sales rep? The answer I tend to give is when you've got so much business that you're no longer able to handle the inflow of new opportunities. Meaning, if you are so busy that you're going, I've got to have somebody do, I have to have somebody take over these sales and actually start getting this stuff out. If I don't do that, I'm going to run out of bandwidth and not be able to do anything else. Too many times. People that are in these smaller organizations or these startups, they hire salespeople with the assumption that they're going to create a trend. So the difference is, is you should never hire a salesperson to create a trend. You always want to hire a salesperson to support a trend. Meaning if it's going in the right direction, you hire, the, you hire a good salesperson, they're going to expand what's already going on. Right. If, you have a, if you hire a salesperson and you go, um, I just want to, uh, I'm going to hire this person, they're going to do magic for me. It'll never happen. I'll give you kind of a quick story. I was working with a company who had a, a smaller sales team. They were hiring additional reps. And every time they hired the rep, every time they would hire, they were starting to hire reps and going, man, I just cannot find a good rep. They're not performing. They're not making quota. And so I did an analysis against what was every rep that had ever been hired in that organization. And by the way, this is a, this is a, a larger sale, larger ticket item. So for year one reps, they were, um, they were expecting to deliver a new hire rep to deliver a million dollars um, I looked at every sales rep they had ever hired, including their top performers. Sales reps, for even the ones that were the most successful in an organization, in their first year, sold on average $188,000. So they were, out of the gate, they were expecting them to make five and a half times, or you know, roughly five and a half times what the average reps makes and setting it as a quota. So of course the sales rep was failing. So again, that middle piece, understanding, and by the way, too, I, in that team piece, also making sure that the tools that they have, the way that they're able to identify marketplace, the way that they're able to do send emails, have conversations, is all aligned within that strategy that they're being set. We have the strategy and we have the team, and now you have this concept of conversation, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit. So conversation is the one that took me the longest to kind of nail down. So at the heart of sales, what is the thing that consistently occurs? And I kept coming back to the fact, well, every great sale starts with a conversation. It doesn't start with a PowerPoint, right? It doesn't start with a sales pitch. It doesn't start even with a, an SDR setting up a meeting. It starts with a conversation. 
And the funny thing about the conversation when you're in sales, you're engaged in sales, is that if you take sales into your day-to-day life, it changes pretty drastically. So let me ask you a question, George. Mm -hmm. If you're going out to buy a house, does the realtor expect you to understand everything that needs to be done to buy that house? No, I, I don't think so. No, because they they're that's their job. They're the ones saying, right. do you have a way to mortgage? Do you have do you have the inspector? All this, like all these different pieces that you need to purchase a house or an apartment in my case. The um they bring all this data. In fact, they are guiding the buyer through a process because that buyer is expected to purchase, not to navigate. And yet the bulk of bulk of sales calls that I'm on, bulk of sales calls that I listen to. They are not guiding down a process. They are relying heavily on the uh, on the buyer to guide them. So they're going, so what does the process look like from here? So why don't I send you some information and you'll get back to us um, after you've had a chance to review it. I mean, they're not driving that conversation. They're sitting back and letting the buyer. And what's funny about it is they did a study a few years ago where they asked buyers for B2B scenarios. Who has more control, the seller or the buyer? So people actually buy in B2B settings, 75% of the buyers said that the seller had the majority of the control, meaning they believe that it was really the seller who was guiding them through the process and not them who were guiding themselves. Now, the funny thing about it is they then asked um, a group of B2B sellers, so people that were selling to these buyers, and oddly enough, 75% of them said that the buyer had more control. So... What I find time and time again is the people that are selling are just giving away control when they don't need to. They're giving away control to the actual buyer. <laughs> so, um, so when you're look, thinking about your strategy, when you're thinking about this core piece, this once you have the strategy and whose problem you're solving, what the team looks like, when you get to that conversation, that conversation piece, it should really be what is the path that I want to take people down again and again and again. I think you've hit the nail on the head and, and it's the difference between an experienced seller and an inexperienced seller in, in you know, in, in my uh, travels that the one, you know, you, you want the prospect to be talking so that you can understand the need. But once you've identified that need, you've really got to move them down the path of where they're going to be most successful and set those proper expectations. That's what I'm hearing you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the and I think a lot of times the more you kind of guide it, and this also helps you as well, too, just in the sense of knowing when a buyer is really not interested. Right. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of people that are that listen to your podcast that they get to the end of the first call and the buyer says, Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, can I see the deck? Can I get a copy of this deck? <laughs> like, you know, I would love to see more and more people challenge at that point. And say, yeah, listen, I'm, uh, or, or, or they'll say, yeah, I'm happy to send you a, a PowerPoint deck. But what I find is that if I send a PowerPoint deck or I send the deck that I've actually just presented to you, then we never talk again. Or you get busy, I get busy, and then this falls off the priority list. One thing that I found to be highly effective in this world is rather than sending someone a PowerPoint deck as the buyer is requesting, I would love to see more and more people say, you know, that's great that uh, I'm happy to send you the PowerPoint deck, but what I'd rather send you is something that we find to be more helpful when you're trying to and creating something that really reflects the conversation you're wanting to have next rather than the conversation you just had. Whenever you see, when a buyer takes control of a sales call, more often than not, 
they live within the status quo because they would rather keep everything the same, even if you can solve their problem in a, in a major way. Um, the other thing that this also brings up an interesting point uh, that I think you may like as well, George, is, is you never want to be in the incremental sale business, meaning it is a much harder sale to sell better versus new. If you can say, I'm going to save you 10% off of this item, or you're going to move 5% faster. What we find again and again is that those are the hardest sales on the planet to make. It's much better to go out and offer something new that they haven't done before. And that's really where it comes down to that strategy piece of how do you solve it differently? Um, if you really nail your differentiator, then you're going to be able to drive a whole lot more revenue just simply because people are going to, the, there's a, I think the last time we talked about he who indoctrinate or uh, he who elevates indoctrinates, right? People that elevate the understanding and indoctrinating that person. But if you're able to indoctrinate them with a differentiator that no one else in the marketplace has, you're going to be able to convert much higher than what you're doing today. And so it just, it's a stronger, um, it's a stronger position as you're trying to build and scale against that as well. So 12 months in this role with uh, that health startup, what, what's one, uh, one challenge that you, that you overcame in, in the last 12 months, Donnie? Um, sure. So one of the, one of the biggest things that I think that we, we discovered, um, well, it really comes down to just who you're, who you're calling on, right? So in any organization, you have to have the ability to, to have the right parameter, but also have the flexibility to create uh, changes that make sense. So one of the, one of the challenges that we had was um, we were having a lot of conversations initially, but we were, weren't, um, we weren't moving the calls forward, meaning uh, one of the sales reps, I think, put it best. He said, he goes, it's not that we're hearing no a lot. It's just that we're not even being considered. And uh, what we found was is that the, the, the problem, because if you think about it with the, strat- the strategy rate, who, whose problem are you trying to solve? A lot of the, a lot of the problems that we had focused on was just how complex healthcare was. But the reality is the buyers that we were talking to, it, they just, they didn't really care about that. And it definitely didn't make the two or three top priorities they were trying to solve. So what that meant was, is that we had the right answer in the right market, but because we were telling the wrong details, we were losing the bulk of the business. So what we did in that case is rather than talk about how complex healthcare is and how impossible it is to navigate it, we started talking about cost savings and the financial impact of having a higher productive employee versus just um, just the fact that, because by the way, I don't think any, and, and here in the States especially, no one's going to argue with the fact that healthcare is complicated, right? <laughs> and right. That it's, and it's, but this idea of, Here's some real numbers that we're actually able to save you as, a, as adding this as a benefit to your team. All of a sudden, moved us up that priority list. And, and what I learned that was super interesting to overcoming that, with overcoming that, reject, that challenge, is the fact that you can absolutely, the more you understand your buyer, the more you understand what their problems are, or more importantly, not even their problems, what their priorities are. What are the two or three things that they're being judged by? They're, they're going to have on their list. And they're going, you know what? If... I get sick tomorrow. I'm going to finish it by Friday. I'm going to spend the weekend working on it. If you understand what are the two or three things they're trying to solve there, then that allows you to really cultivate a message that really resonates. Now, in some cases, if your buyer's two or three priorities just aren't on your list, aren't anything that you can solve, there's a good chance that you're calling on the wrong buyer. And then all of a sudden you have to go, maybe the market I'm running after just isn't right. But what great information to know. Well, well, so, so you, you don't, don't spend a bunch of cycles calling on the wrong customer. Like it, I, I think some reps are, are afraid of that, but it, it's very vital that you find out that you're, that, you know, you're fishing in the right lake. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's the, uh, 
it's I'm I'm in the process of creating a blog post that's if your um if your reps are inflating their pipeline, it's probably your fault, right? <laughs> like it's, it really comes down to culture. If you think about it, like so, I, I worked with a company this past year that um <laughs> I was talking to the founder and he goes, first thing I do is I look at the sales, and if the sales aren't there, then I look at the pipeline. And if the pipeline is not there, I look at their activity and I look at them and I say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard <laughs> because you can look at the sales. That's, that's fine. But the second you tell a sales rep, if you don't have the sales, I'm going to look at your pipeline. Every sales rep that has half brain is going to pack their pipeline. And you're not going to be able to run projections. You're not going to be able to understand how much revenue is there. Right. Yeah, it's definitely going to impact your forecasting for sure. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what I walked into. I walked into a two million dollar overreach on the uh, on this team on this company. So I came back and I said, "All right, the first thing I have to tell you is you need to lower expectations with your board because if you don't do that, you're going to miss it completely." Because by the way, I've just had conversations with most of you, with both of your sales managers, and they both said that they're afraid to take things out of the pipeline. It definitely is something that we've seen over and over and over again happening inside organizations. And, and does, does this come back to what you were discussing earlier around that conversation where the, the sales manager needs to be looking for these kind of bogeys and having a conversation with the rep so they can make sure that it is a true pipeline that, that they're inspecting? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, there's so many times that and that's where like and there's a lot that goes into this science, by the way, um, George, for example, when I, whenever one thing that, I, that drives me a little bit nuts is when a sales manager expects a pipeline or a CRM, like a Salesforce or a HubSpot, or you know, there's always these new ones coming out, or even the Google sheet that you're managing off of, they expect it to be up to date all the time. Like they go, oh, I looked in Salesforce and, and this opportunity is not right. Well, when, tell me when you're going to look at it and I'll fix it. <laughs> like, so rather than having them, it has to be perfect all the time. Any sales manager needs to say on Thursday morning, on Monday morning, I'm going to pull the pipeline. You can have everything wrong that you want in it, but come Monday morning, it better be accurate because that's what I'm going to look at. It. Just that little change builds a five-letter word in your sales reps that'll help you, and that's called trust, right? So continuing to build this trust out, and that's the thing. You have to have this ability to say, whether it's, oh, the way I say it is like this. Guys, I can handle two out of three types of news. I can handle good news. Who can't handle good news? I love good news. I can handle bad news because it's better to know than not. The only kind of news that I can't handle is inaccurate news. And most sales managers are enabling inaccurate news because they have this myth that if they show the CEO or the board a big old pipeline, then that makes them look good. I don't know about you, but we've never been able to pay our bills with a pipeline. <laughs> so it's all about actual sales. And clarity is your friend. If you have a thin pipeline, it's good to know you have a thin pipeline than to miss your budget, than to be looking at it going, I don't know what happened. But most sales leaders and most even just even one and two person owners are afraid to do that. They're so afraid to let go of that deal because they're emotionally invested. But the more you teach your sales reps, listen, don't get emotionally invested into this. Find the deals that really work and run them through the process, through the conversation. If they exit the conversation, that's fine. I can't, I can't go back in time and, and save the time I spent, but I can, I can, definitely myself from wasted part of it. Donnie, I, I wanted to ask you, because you've been doing this for a while, one thing that I've been investigating here recently, and that is, you know, you get, you get a senior salesperson, really good at handling objections, understand the solution or the product set of the industry really well, and, 
and they, you know, they're meeting with their sales team. They're like, well, I can do it. Why can't you do it? But th- it's, it's not fair to make that comparison because what you're trying to do as a sales leader, and this is my opinion, I want you to correct me if you think I'm wrong, but you know, what I need to do is come up with a repeatable model for that group of folks, not somebody who's been doing it for 30 years. Uh, because you know that's where you're going to build out a scalable sales organization. Oh yeah, I hear this. I hear this all the time, and it's usually not a sales rep. It's usually the founder or the the, the CEO right. who's been pitching and closing. Two things happen there. One, and I think it's true of a senior seller or a sales manager or anybody that's been in the seat. They've had, especially in like a startup or someone who's been there multiple years, they have had the ability to have complexity added piece by piece. Right. So like, think right. of it with me. So like when you start, when you start your own business or when you, you know, are women with an organization, when you start with that organization, it, and nine times out of 10, it is not as complex as it is today. Meaning you started with the company, then they added this cool feature. Well, so then you showed up and you learned about one feature. So then they all of a sudden they updated the UI. So then you go and you get to see the cool new UI. Then they start talking about this new market they're going to go into. So you get to get educated. All that happens over the course of 12 months or 24 months, or eight, five years, whatever. Then you hire a rep five years later, and they have to look back over all that history. They're not in the same place as someone who's seasoned and has been there for a long time. So the first thing you have to do, and again, this comes back to what I said earlier, George, about the idea of you need to see what the trends are telling you. Like a good manager is incredibly candid and has a long memory. So when you look at that rep, you go, okay, my top performer, what was his, what was her first year like? Not what is their year like now? And then you build it out. The second thing you do, so you have a long memory and you set the expectation because again, they're going to continue to execute the trend that you're seeing if they're successful. Your goal is not to make them create the trend of you know a million dollars their first year. Your goal is to ensure that they're a successful rep. And a successful rep may be $20,000 their first year. It may be $200,000 their first year. And by the way, if that's the trend you're seeing and you're not comfortable with that trend, you don't need a sales rep. You need to work on your business and figure out a way to execute higher dollar amounts with the team today. Because if you bring in a sales rep into that organization, they're going to fail. So the first thing you do is you get real clear on what you can and can't do with a new hire, regardless. And it has to be based on history and actual data. The second thing that, um, that you have to do is create a formalized, documented plan on how to raise the product knowledge, the industry knowledge, and understand what type of seller you really want to hire. Does that make sense? No, absolutely it does. And, you know, there's some definite wisdom over the past 12 months. And, you know, you're a smart guy to begin with, Donnie, but it's been a great year for you. It it seems that you've really got this thing dialed in with the work that you've been doing in the past 12 months. What is next for Donnie Dye in 2020? So I am wrapping up um, my my gig here. So this was a so I intentionally took a deeper dive gig. So this has been a full time CRO position uh, through about half of um, 2019, and I'll be done at the end of January. Um, and then from there, it'll be working on and relaunching Quota NYC in a little bit of a different way. As I said earlier, just going after uh, um, focusing on building and fixing sales teams. Uh, I really love doing um, this model of helping people go from point A to point B and then just kind of disappearing. A lot of people will use me whenever there's a uh, whenever there's a major event coming up. So maybe sales have gone flat and we can't afford that for a budget year. Or maybe, um, or maybe they're trying to 
do a round of funding, or maybe they're trying to get acquired, or maybe they're acquiring another business. That's all the different stuff I'm looking at. Um, so I'm looking, I'm very excited just about the prospect of just working with a whole bunch of other different companies and solving a whole bunch of different problems. And hopefully a year from now, we'll have another conversation and uh, we'll have new content to talk about from there as well. No, I'd like that, Donnie. It's always a pleasure having you on the show and we wish you all the best in the next 12 months. If people are looking to talk to Donnie, you can reach out to him on the Conquer Local community. So thanks, Donnie, for joining us. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks. Really interested in that diagram where we have strategy, team, and the conversation. And, you know, Donnie bringing up another point, a no is not a bad thing. You're actually looking to disqualify the leads that are not ready to move through your funnel as much as you're trying to qualify them. And uh, some great insights there on what type of seller you need for your organization. Is your team set up for success? And uh, that's something that I would like you to ask yourself as we move forward and remembering some of the things that Donnie shared around how to have that successful sales team. And then when should I hire another rep? Whether you be the founder of an organization and you're starting to make that first sales hire or you're a sales manager looking to add to your team, it's really interesting the feedback that Donnie gives based on his experience on when the right time to hire a rep is. Hiring a rep and expecting miracles to happen and revenue to just explode may not be the way that we're seeing things happen. Um, it's an interesting feedback that he's giving us. So, you know, what we're talking about when you look to either qualify or disqualify the lead, you want to challenge them. And some of the challenges that Donnie identified, who are we calling on in our initial conversations? Why aren't we being considered? And really digging into that talk track to see, and that's the communication portion of, of his diagram there, figuring out why we're not being considered. And, and maybe we have to make a bit of a pivot as to what the uh, value proposition might be. Some great insights from Mr. Donnie Dye, always an insightful person. You know, I met him a number of years ago and I always learned something when I listened to him. And we uh, thank him very much for being on the podcast this week. And we're looking for your feedback in the Conquer Local community on Slack. You can get all the details by visiting us at conquerlocal.com and look forward to seeing you again here. My name is George Leith. I will see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath. <laughs>